0: Amen. Amen. You know, God is good. And uh, what a blessing it is to be in his house singing praises to him. And um, I hope that y'all are ready for some truth. Uh, we hear enough lies and, and things uh, everywhere else we are, but uh, we, we look to God's word for, for truth. And this morning, um, I'm going to be starting a new series uh, on the, the one another's of the Bible the one another's of the Bible and um you know a retired pastor and I uh, we were talking with some other people about um uh, a sister church that was having some some turmoil and things and they were experiencing going through this and known for his uh, kingdom insights and godly wisdom uh this uh, old servant kind of shifted his weight and and uh, with a deep sigh he said this he said well I'm not real smart but he said if those folks would just act like the Bible says about one another's, they would get along a whole lot better. Isn't that the truth though? If we just did what God told us to do and and we would get along so much better. You know, that phrase though kind of uh, worked its way into my sermon mill, you know, and and I wanted to talk about that and I I really began to research uh, the commands that tell us how to behave toward one another in the family of God. And uh, I, I know that, I uh, uh, hope this sermon series will help us uh, form the picture, if you will, of, of healthy Christian relationships, because that's what we need is healthy Christian relationships, which is the foundation of a healthy church. So if we have healthy Christian relationships, we will have a, a healthy church, which is really the healthiest form of witness uh, to Jesus Christ for the broken world around us when we are functioning like we should as a healthy church, because we have healthy relationships. I think this is huge. Um, I'm going to be in Luke, excuse me, John chapter 15, if you will. Um, if you will open your scripture up to John 15, we have that, that famous, uh, teaching about, I am the vine, you are the branches. And, uh, in that chapter, and I'm going to read down, uh, verse 12 through verse 17. And, um, If you read with me, John 15, uh, beginning in verse 12 and down through verse 17, God's word says this, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you slaves for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and hear and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the father in my name he may give to you. This, is, this I command you, that you love one another. Loving Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us. And Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. I pray this morning, Father, that you would just clear our hearts and minds, that your Holy Spirit would be able just to speak uh, directly to our hearts. And Father, we thank you for what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. Father, how he made a way where we can be reconciled to you. And Father, I pray that you would just guide us. I I pray, Father, for a a spirit of, of conviction and repentance. I pray, Father, that you would show us indeed this morning where we fall short. Father, we love you and we thank you for guiding us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we're as we're looking at this passage, um, these words uh, sound familiar to us. Um, and maybe it's because if you're reading through John, um, if you go back a couple of chapters to John 13, Jesus has already said this to his disciples. OK, this is the second time uh, he, he says it in John 13, uh, 34 and 35. He says a new commandment I give you that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay. And so, so he, he's saying this right after he washes the disciples' feet. He tells them uh, to love one another. And then he's, he's teaching them and he talks about being the vine and the branches. And, and so then he, he goes on and he says, this is my commandment that you love one another. And, and, and he says in verse 12 here, just as I have loved you. And I think that's huge. I mean, why would Jesus repeat this command on the, on the same night, if you will? He's with his disciples. Uh, he repeated it because he's a master teacher. And, and he, he knew that repetition is a way of learning something that, that is very important and that's not easy. And it takes more, you know, than, than one hit of the hammer to drive a nail, you're going to have to hit it several times and it takes more than saying it once for us to learn to love one another he repeats it for us see the the lord knew our our propensity for selfishness <laughs> wait i'm going to talk about that okay our selfishness and 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 we are we are such selfish beings He knew our propensity towards selfishness, so during his final hours (laughs) with the disciples, he reminded them of this command to love one another. And, And I think that's huge because, you know, we think about that, and he wanted them to remember this one thing, this one thing, because love is not optional for those who follow Jesus Christ. See the apostle Paul. He he tells us how to love one another in his letter to the saints at Ephesus. And I'm going to kind of go back and forth between these two passages, Luke or excuse me, John 15, and also Ephesians 5. And, and, and I'm going to read a few verses there. And and the first thing I want to I want to read out of that is is verse 25 in in Ephesians 5. And and it, it's speaking to. Um, husbands and wives and, but it's also talking about how Christ loved the church. But listen to this. Uh, Paul is telling us how to love one another. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. The first thing I want to show you this morning is that love, if we're going to love one another, it has to be a sacrificial love. It has to be a sacrificial love. Love is self-sacrificing. I mean, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, okay? So if we're gonna love one another, there's gotta be this, this sacrificial type of love. And Jesus's love is the supreme standard for our love for one another. His love is up here, his love for us. And I think about this because Jesus's love is most clearly seen on the cross, as he's bleeding out and dying for your sins and for mine. He offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. I mean, if we're going to talk about loving one another, we need to talk about what Jesus did for us, okay? It's so important because we can define Jesus' love as a self-sacrificing, caring commitment, That shows itself in seeking the highest good for the one loved. (laughs) We got it all backwards because we think it's all about us, that it's all about me. Listen, the highest good for all people is that they would have their sins forgiven and receive eternal life through Jesus Christ and through faith in him. That's the highest good for all people, is that they would receive eternal life, that their sins would be forgiven, that they would have faith in Jesus Christ. And and once a person has come to know Christ, his highest good is that he be conformed to the image of Christ. See. Having faith in him is the beginning, but what that process of, 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 you know, conforming to the image of Christ, these goals should be our goals in all of our relationships. But you see, that's not the case. We don't view that in in one another. It's not as if we think about the person we're sitting next to or our family members or others. And we're saying, you know, the highest good is for them to know Jesus Christ and once they know him the highest good is for them to be conformed to the image of Christ i mean i really feel like like this is huge and we've missed the boat here because you see love is primarily a commitment not a feeling not a feeling and because it's not a feeling and it is a commitment love can be commanded I mean, think about this. The Bible does command certain feelings. I mean, for example, it tells us in First Thessalonians to, to rejoice always. Rejoice always. It also says in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. And love should not be without feelings It is a caring commitment and people should feel our genuine feelings for one another. (laughs) But you know what? Sometimes we don't always feel loving, but we need to obey God by sacrificing ourselves for the sake of others. And really, that's what Jesus's point is. He endured the cross because he was focused on the future joy of having us with him for all eternity. He was willing to go do that, to offer himself up, and in, in John 15, verse 13, he, he said, "Greater love has no one than this than he lay down his life for his friends." I mean, some say, well, to lay down your life for your friends is, is great, but you know, to lay down your life for your enemies, oh, that's even, that's even greater. And, and, and Paul points out that that is in fact what Jesus did in Romans five. Verses 8 through 10, he, he talks about how he died for us while we were still his enemies. I mean, I, it's hard for me to fathom that kind of thing. And you too, because we're selfish individuals. We don't want that for our enemy, we barely want it for our friends. I mean, and that's the reality. Because if we believed what we say we believe, then we would be telling everyone we know about Jesus Christ. Because ultimately that would be the greatest good that they could have. Would be eternal life, forgiveness of their sins, and and, and being with him forever. In another context, Jesus commanded that we love our enemies. But in this context... He's speaking about among friends that we love one another. He will demonstrate this love for his disciples the very next morning as they crucify him to the cross. Folks, that's the high standard of our love for one another. Now, of course, we cannot substitute our lives for the lives of someone else, uh, for their sins, if you will. Uh, but but he sets that standard for our love as in laying down our lives for one another. You know, every once in a while I hear, or I'll read a story or hear about someone who, who sacrificed their life for someone else. Maybe, maybe on the battlefield, uh, maybe they rescue a, a drowning person, or, or maybe, you know, it's, it's um, some other type of scenario. They ran into a burning building. And even while not, maybe not giving their life, I've also read about people who have like donated a kidney to a complete stranger. And it's like, I've often thought, would I do that? Would you do that? I mean, we can sit around and speculate whether we would do such heroic deeds if we were put into those situations. But the place where we really need to apply this is by confronting our selfishness in small, daily matters. We gotta have our way. We're the most selfish people on the planet. You know what? We've probably got the most of anybody on the planet. And we just feeds our selfishness. You know, Jesus, (laughs) our, our selfishness makes it seem like we're so petty sometimes over the smallest things. And so I ask the question, do you die to yourself so that you can serve others? See, I'm hoping to improve our serve. I'm hoping to improve our service to one another, to the church, to our community, to the world around us. But we've got we've to lose the selfishness if we're going to do that. And, and I, I feel like this is, this is a, a huge sticking point because Jesus' Jesus's sacrifice was perfect. He was the perfect sacrifice. And, and love is sacrificial. It's not selfish, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. He is our standard. He didn't sit on his throne in heaven and bark commands to us on earth. And at extremely high personal cost, he laid aside his rights as God and he took on human flesh and he became obedient even to death on the cross where he actually became sin for us. He bore our sins. It's like Charles Wesley wrote, he said, Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? See, self and selfishness are the greatest disrupting forces in the world. You know, someone may say, well, I'd die for my brothers and sisters if it ever came down to that. I'd fight to the death in order to protect him. And I want to say that's tremendous. And I hope that you would. But here's the real question Are you crucifying self on a daily basis on behalf of one another? I'm guilty as charged. I need God's kind of love in my life so that I will lay down my life for those around me. I mean, is your focus on using others to meet your needs or in setting aside your own selfish desires in order to meet their needs? See, as as Jesus' followers, we're part of the same vine. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. We are part of the same vine, and we must bear the same fruit. See, love is the supreme fruit of our lives. All that we do has to be filtered through him and for others. And it would be far better off, we would be far better off to lose anything that we have, everything that we have, even our lives, than to lose our love for him and our love for one another. You say, well, why is this so important? Because he said, by this, by this love for one another, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, think about, this is, this is a young John writing this. Let's, let's think about an older John writing this in chapter four of first John, uh, verse 19. He says this. He says, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. There's a lot more that he has to say. If you go back to uh, chapter 3, 1 John, verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. (laughs) that we should love one another. You know, I think churches and church folks are missing the boat in this generation because churches seem to be restructuring uh, the things that they do so that they become more, you know, um, seeker-friendly. And I'm not so sure that people are looking for friendly churches as much as they are looking for friends. But here's the deal. We have to open up. It's so funny because we have a tendency to get comfortable with the people that we know that we're comfortable around. And we quit reaching out. We quit reaching out because it's just me and mine and and me and my friends and, and no more. But you know what? The world is waiting for people who know Jesus to pattern their lives after him and do life together like he did it. You know, in Ephesians 5.2, Paul tells us all believers, all believers to walk in love. And just as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. So these comments, these, this, this is for everyone. This is for people who are single and married. They're, they're for every Christian, male or female. In that general sense, we must all be continuing to be growing in Christ-like love for one another. It's a sacrificial love. But it's also a purifying love. Love seeks the highest good to the one of the one loved. And I want you to hear this, that love is purposeful. It's not aimless, it's not effortless ecstasy. See, we've been sold a bag of goods. And Paul gives us Christ's purpose in giving himself for the church. He says there in verse 26 and 27, he says, so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. See, the world views love, the world views love as aimless, effortless state of ecstasy. I mean, you, you fall in love you fall in love as if you're just walking along, and you fall in this big hole. You know, you 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 fall in love, and and it's kind of like you're you're falling off of a surfboard or something. You know, you're you're going along, you fall off the surfboard. Once you're in the water, you let the current carry you along. If you have to work at it or give it any effort, you must not have the real thing. That's what they would have us believe. The world says that true love is totally spontaneous and unplanned. Oh, I just knew it was love at first sight. You fell off your surfboard, didn't you? I mean, really. But biblical love involves effort to reach a purpose. And Christ does not achieve his aims for his bride with effortless spontaneity. He has a definite purpose and he works with us to achieve it. In this sense, think about the exclusivity of our marriage to Jesus Christ. Just as couples often pledge at their wedding, forsaking all others, I devote myself to you alone. So when Christ saves us, we are set apart from the world just for him alone (laughs) I mean Christ took us from our impurity and he cleansed us from all of our sin making us his spotless bride and in in, uh, Ephesians 5 verse 26 so that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word and and the word is from a a Greek word meaning the spoken or preached word (laughs) huh We hear the word of God. It is, the, it is through the word of the gospel that we are cleansed and set apart for God. It's when we hear the gospel being preached, we are cleansed and set apart. And when when Christ opens our ears to really hear the word of the gospel and that he shed his blood to, to cleanse us from our sins and when he imparts to us faith to believe it, we become his purified bride, Amen. set apart just for him. See, the entire point of verses 26 and 27 of the Lord is, is he's building his church so that we will be holy and blameless. That has been his purpose from all eternity. That was his purpose from all eternity. We're Johnny come lately. We're just we're just got in on the last part of it. But that's been his purpose for all eternity. And the Lord never does anything to tear down or put down his chosen bride even when he must discipline us. He does it in love that we may share in his holiness. But it seems to me like the application for the followers of Jesus Christ is fairly obvious. I mean, any thoughts or words or deeds that put down your brother or sister, any ridicule, any attack, any tear down are not in line with your God-given purpose. At times, you may need to, to gently correct in love, but your aim is to help others grow to be that truly beautiful bride of Christ. I mean, Jesus's purity it changed people and Jesus' purpose cleansed people we have this sacrificial love we have this purifying love but it's also a caring love love is caring just as a man nourishes and cherishes his own flesh as Christ does the church but listen listen God has met our needs Amen? amen have your needs been met by God might have he has totally met our needs and so we show his love and worship when we care for other people's needs and when we cherish other people when we love them <laughs> love is visible it shows itself it's not just words it's also deeds You know, this morning is funny because I feel like God was just giving me a little test. I know you're going to be preaching about love, but will you show it? During Sunday school, there was a fellow that came in to the church in the great hall. He had just gotten off his bicycle, which he rode from Heiko, Texas to here. I don't know about you, but that's a long ways to ride a bicycle. He came and he he wanted to see if the church would help. He needed a place to stay. He wanted to sleep. He said he'd been to some shelters and he tends to get bullied at shelters and things. He said, I just need a, a, a motel room. You do need, you need money for food? No, I've got, I've got that taken care of. I just need a, a place to sleep and to shower. I mean, it's as if God was saying, put your money where your mouth is. Right. You're going to be preaching on this? Let's see it in action. Well, you know, it, it, we, when people come and ask the church, I feel like we ought to do something to help. That's right. But he's got him a motel room. And um, he's going to get some good rest. But it's as if God was saying, really? This is what you're preaching on? Let me see if you'll do it. And you know, it's that way, though. We have to keep our eyes and ears open. Because God will send opportunities to those who use them. Why would he send opportunities to somebody who's not going to use them? No. He won't do it. But if you are willing, if you are able and you keep your eyes open, my mom and dad used to say, keep your eyes peeled. But the idea is if you're watching, God will send you opportunities. The followers of Jesus are chosen to bear fruit that remains. And the fruit here most likely refers to people who come to know Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. And they will remain because Jesus promises to keep them. I love how Paul puts it in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. He says, for this reason, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. I mean, Paul suffered so that God's elect would hear the gospel and be saved. Folks, that should be our aim as well. The followers of Jesus bear fruit that remains through prayerful dependence on the Father. I love this. In verse 16 of John uh, 15, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. (laughs) I love that. I mean, there's two parallel clauses here. The first one shows why God chose and appointed the disciples. The second one shows how that purpose would be fulfilled. And he says, I chose you and appointed you that you would bear fruit, that your fruit would remain. Which you will do by asking the Father in my name. I mean, it's good to, to receive training on sharing the gospel with others. And, you know, we can, we can do that. And, and sometimes we feel like... Um, you know, we've got to uh, be good at uh, methods and, and uh, sales techniques to, to close the deal. But only God can produce new life, a new life that abides, and he does it through this thing we call being born again, That's right. the new birth. And, 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 and I love that because Jesus gives new life to the spiritually dead, He gives new life to those who are are dead. And and so prayer is the God-given necessity behind evangelism. Here's my point. Before you talk to a person about God, talk to God about the person. He wants to draw them. That is the best resource we have. If you haven't done so, make a list of people that you know that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Make a list of it and begin to pray for their salvation. Pray that God would draw them to himself. Pray that he would be at work in their life so that when you are standing in real time in front of them, that, that, that the Holy Spirit is already softened the soil to receive the seed that you're going to plant. Understand that you may be the means that God uses to bring them to a point of salvation. So be alert to those opportunities. Be equipped and know, know some verses to explain the gospel clearly. But prayer is the foundation for bearing fruit that remains. So we have this sacrificing love. We have this purifying love. We have this caring love. And, and lastly, I'm gonna say we have this unifying love. <laughs> unifying. This is because... <laughs> The others that we are commanded to to love are imperfect sinners, just like us. Those that we are commanded to love are imperfect sinners, just like us. I think it's both interesting and instructive that Jesus did not pick out just a a homogenous, cohesive group to be his apostles. (laughs) Most glaringly, he picked Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot. Think about this. These are complete opposites, okay? The zealots were a radical political party whose main objective was getting Rome out of the Holy Land, okay? They were like, we don't want the Romans here. They're occupying our territory. We need to get them out. And they viewed tax collectors as despicable traitors who sold their souls to Rome. They took advantage of their fellow Jews by milking them for excessive taxes, which they pocketed. Now, I don't know whether Jesus picked Matthew first or Simon first. But I think, you know, the one who had already been picked was probably wondering what Jesus's choice was. You know, like, what was he thinking? Why would he, why would he choose a tax collector? Why would he choose a zealot? And then, Jesus commanded them to love one another. I mean, right? It's like, oh my goodness. You know? He still does that Today. He picks people for his church who we would probably never have picked and he commands us to love them. But you see, we have to say no to our selfishness to help them become what the Lord wants them to be. Followers of Jesus love one another just as he loved us and we're to do whatever he commands us. And that verb means (laughs) continuously consistent service, not the hit and miss half-hearted service that is given by some people today. See, his saving grace and work in our lives transforms us from rebels into obedient, humble servants. And I love this because a healthy body is a unified body. A healthy body is a diverse body. We can only love one another if we abide in Christ's love. And I'm almost done. In verse nine of chapter 15 of John, Jesus said, just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you abide in my love. And he implies that this abiding in his love, this abiding applies to our relationships with one another and abiding in his love is key to loving our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, these two, two great commandments sum up the law and the prophets. They are to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. God's great love for us motivates us to love one another. You know, loving one another and bearing fruit, those two are intertwined. They go together. And Jesus ties our ability to bear fruit with his command that we love one another. See, as people see the love between us as followers of Jesus Christ, they want to be a part of that, and they will be drawn to the source of our love, our Savior who gave himself up on the cross. You know, I haven't read the book, but years ago, there was a book that came out by Leslie Flynn. It was called Great Church Fights, okay? What a title. I'm sure that he had to choose his material selectively because I'm sure there had been thousands of great church fights, okay? Okay. And, and, and on a lesser scale, there have been tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of conflicts between believers over relatively small matters. And I want to say it's always grievous. It always causes a black eye for the cause of Christ. When believers don't judge their own selfishness and work through conflicts out of obedience to Christ's command to love one another. I mean, time is getting away from us, so let me just urge us all to focus on two things right, right here. First, I want to say, immerse yourself often in the wonder of the cross. Think about what Jesus Christ did. The, think about the beauty of the cross, where, where the sinless son of God offered himself up for us to secure his bride. And when you are overwhelmed daily with the fact that Jesus died for your rotten sins and mine to make us his bride, the humility that it produces in you will spill over into self-sacrificing so that you can love others. So take a little time each day to think about the glorious, amazing grace shown to you at the cross. Secondly, I would say this. Take time often during the week to think about how you can show love to someone else. Be practical, be specific. I mean, it may be as simply as reaching out and asking about somebody's day and then taking the time to hear their response, to listen to them. It may be helping them accomplish their goals or helping them out some, some way. But if you aren't focused on giving it attention, your thought you're not obeying Paul's command here. Your love for one another should be sacrificial, not selfish. It should be purposeful, not aimless. And you should do it primarily to glorify the Lord who loved you and gave himself up for you. Folks, love is the greatest gift according to 1 Corinthians 13. It's what Jesus said. We'll witness a healthy body and keeping the body healthy. So I ask you this morning, are we loving one another? Are we loving one another well? Are we going beyond? Are we pushing through? Are we sacrificing? You know, how does that love show up in other people's lives? See, I believe that Jesus is looking for willing hearts Willing to be willing to love one another. With that love that is sacrificial. That love that is purifying. That love that is caring. But that love that is unifying as well. And for the times when we've failed in the past. Just bring it to Jesus. Just bring it to him. Lay it at his feet. Would you pray with me? Loving Father, we thank you for this time and Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and Father, the reality is is that we've not not loved you well. Father, we've tried to love you in addition to other things and Father, your word says that no man can love two masters but Father, I pray that you would Forgive us where we've failed you. I pray, Father, that you would quicken our hearts. Father, that our desire would be to see others know you in a very personal way, to see others conform to the image of Christ. And Father, that we would love one another enough to speak up. Father, that we would love one another enough to be quiet. Father, that we would love one another enough to put ourselves out in order that someone else could be drawn closer to you. Father, so that someone else could get some rest. Father, so that someone else could could do the things that you have called them to do. But Father, I pray that we would Crucify our flesh. Father, that I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Father, I pray that that verse, that prayer would be evident in each one of our lives. And Father, that your Holy Spirit would use it to further your kingdom. Father, we love you. I thank you for your word, and I pray that you would help us to love one another, even like you love the church. Thank you, Father, for your word. Guide us as we continue um, just to seek you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.